Yes, hello there and welcome to Join Up Darts. This is an archive show, which means that I'm not here at the moment, but it's, it's all pre-recorded. But it does give you just a glimpse of what's been happening on the iTunes number one business entrepreneur show since we launched. Now, this show is different and you'll hear laughter, tears, shocking stories, real life turmoil, and of course, the kind of success blueprint that will change your life forever. If you want the dream life, then all the answers are here. Now, these are the old episodes, so to get right up to date listening to the latest stuff, then simply search Join Up Dots, click subscribe, and never miss an episode again. And of course, over at joinupdots.com, you can get instant access to our free 12-day podcasting course or loads of amazing free downloads to kickstart your own entrepreneurial journey, all made by my own fair hand. So let's get on with the show. You've got a lot of catching up to do after all. Enjoy. When we're young, we have an amazing, positive outlook about how great life is going to be. But somewhere along the line, we forget to dream and end up settling. Join Up Dots features amazing people who refuse to give up and chose to go after their dreams. This is your blueprint for greatness. So here's your host, live from the back of his garden in the UK, David Ralph. Yes, hello, it's me again. It is David Ralph, and obviously that means you are listening to Join Up Dots, which you would know anyway, don't it? It's not like the old days when you tune a radio in and you've got no idea what you're listening to. You have gone on to iTunes, you've gone on to Spreaker, or however you're finding us, thank you for being there today. It's the 23rd of July, so we're ticking on through the year, and today's guest is somebody that I've had booked for quite a while, it seems, but he's finally on the other end of the line, and he is a motivational speaker and author whose mission is to teach us all to be bold in our actions. He believes that we all have it in us to get out of our comfort zones and create success in whatever we do. With a background in sales and knowledge of cognitive and behavioral therapy, he has the ability to inspire us all by sharing personal stories of success and no doubt failure and obstacles. We all have those in our lives after all. And a humorous approach that has led him to be a sought-after corporate speaker across the world. But how has he managed to find the key to boldness? that eludes so many of us in our lives and I guess the bigger question is did he always have this ability to challenge and strive for bigger and better things or was there a key moment in his life that showed him the way as you know we call it the big dot well let's find out as we start joining up the dots of his life with the one and only Mr Jeff Shaw how are you today Jeff uh, I am fantastic, uh, coming to you from uh, California, where I'm sitting out in the sun and Pamela Anderson just jogged by. That, that's that's the image, correct? Is that what uh, we're going for? Absolutely. And I, I would say that she's going to massage you as well, just to sort of add, <laughs> add to that. I actually saw Pamela Anderson on, the, on a show in the UK the other day. And I have to say... Unless she's had work done, because in the UK we, we have this fascination, and you probably see it more often than we do, of people having plastic surgery and trying to guess if they've had it done or not. Now, being in California, I imagine you see many people that walk past who, quite honestly, Jeff, look a bit strange. But if she's had anything done, I, I'm surprised because she kind of looks like she's aging naturally. How do you feel when she's massaging you and you look up into Pamela Anderson's eyes? Do you think she's had anything done? 
<laughs> yeah, I'll tell you what, it is, it is. Uh, I think what it comes down to is how not whether you're going to get uh, a cosmetic surgery, it's how much you're willing to pay for good cosmetic surgery, because there's no question about it. Here in California, we see it across the board, and, and uh, uh, it, it's especially that, that atmosphere and that attitude that says, boy, if I don't look fresh and hip and young, then I'm nobody. It's a sad commentary on society, in my opinion, but uh, that's what the tabloids will do for you. And they just look like they're in a wind tunnel, don't they, basically, with their faces <laughs> stretched back. Um, just before we get onto the show, I'll tell you what my, my bugbear is. It's when chat show hosts do this a lot and they bring on the guest and I won't say the words Barry Manilow, but the last time I thought of this was when Barry Manilow walked on and they always go don't they look amazing and you kind of think no they don't why won't anyone sort of say you know enough is enough stop fiddling around just just be who you are and grow old gracefully like like we are Jeff we're growing into handsome men I think the two of us <laughs> Well, I, I, I appreciate the notion, although uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure that I necessarily agree, um, but, but, I, but I certainly take your point. I was recently watching the, uh, the induction ceremonies for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame on, on uh, HBO. And of course, if you're in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, it means you're probably past your, uh, um, uh, your, your prime by, by way of at least the, your hairline. So it is uh, always amazing to me when I watch these old rockers that are still going on but you look at it and you go, wow, you're, you're trying to perform like a 25-year-old, but I'm sorry, you look like you're 55, you're actually 85. When, when do you think enough is enough? In, in your own personal life, and I'm not saying that you're you know, like Paul McCartney or whatever and you're going to go on forever in a day, but there is a certain part where the experience that you have built up turns into something more powerful than you had as a younger man. And I'm sure you must have felt that. Your background in sales, you you build it up unknowingly, you build up a history in sales, and then suddenly you realize you can take it to the next level. Do you remember when that occurred and you suddenly thought, I've got enough history now to be able to step away from the crowd and change my life? It's really interesting. I think what you're referring here to is the whole concept of, of um, if you want to call it paradigm, self-perception, the way that we see ourselves. And, and those paradigms are so often set forth for us at a very, very young age, and then they stay with us for a long time. So, you know, I'm, I'm thinking back all the way to... Uh, that was probably the second grade when um, you know Miss Willie looked at me and said, "Jeff, we're giving you more lines in the school play than anyone else because you can act." And I think I probably looked at her like, "Okay, if you say so." And that was a paradigm shifting moment for me. But you know, I've been acting obviously not professionally, but but it's been a part of my professional life, uh, my my presentation skills, my performance skills, if you will. I was in you know all of the the high school and college you know, dramas and musicals and all of that. And I think it comes down to that early paradigm setting. Unfortunately, I think the negative paradigm setting also takes place where we look at it and say, you can do this, but you can't do that. And uh, we start getting these beliefs that are difficult to change from within. So I think what happens here is that, that people around us who see more in us than we see in ourselves are oftentimes those people who can get us to break out of that paradigm and to try new things and to challenge ourselves. So as I was talking, as an example, I've been working with sales professionals for many, many years, but as I was working with the sales professionals on technique, 
recognizing that for many technique was not the problem. The problem was what I call a comfort addiction. And as I started to begin to talk about this, then people came to me and said, you know what, Jeff, I appreciate your help on the technique, but where you're really helping me is to grow my own boldness and to deal with my own desire for comfort. And that's, that, again, was an external paradigm shift for me to look at it and say, well, gee, maybe I should be pursuing this more and more. And, and, and that was the, the light bulb moment that really transformed um, my key emphasis into that idea, not just of, of, of sales technique, which I still will talk about, but, but my real passion here is how people deal with their comfort addictions in all areas of their life. When, when you had that moment, that aha moment, was it a kind of, ah, and the clouds parted and the angels came down? Or was it sort of like six or seven conversations that had been happening over like three or four months where you just thought, I can't ignore this anymore. Too many people are saying this to me. There's something here to work for. Yeah, you know, part of this is a personality style question, my friend, because uh, I have aha moments, so about every 12 minutes or so. It's just the way I am. I, I, I suffer from goal diffusion. There are, I'm, I'm a shiny object guy. Um, uh, it, it, there, it, it, I'm just easily distracted. So I'm constantly having these moments where you say, well, that's revolutionary. That's transformational. I have trained myself over time to see if that moment lasts. And that's, for me, the big gauge. So from there, yes, I can look at back, back and say there was a trigger moment there, but I, but I have to tell you that it wasn't until that stuck with me and it became such a part of my thinking and I started to absolutely devour the subject matter that, that I really realized I was onto something. And I think that that's a, a, a wise way to be able to look at it. It's okay to be excited in the moment. It's, and I certainly am a proponent of such aha type of moments. But if it doesn't, if, if the passion isn't strong enough to sustain you moving forward, then it probably wasn't there in the first place. So I just think of two examples of this. One was a, an interview that uh, the great uh, Sir Ken Robinson did with uh, Eric Clapton. And Eric Clapton hears all the time people say, well, I wish I could play guitar like you. And he knows it's supposed to be a compliment, but deep down what he's thinking is, no, you don't. Because if you really wish you could play guitar like me, you'd practice until your fingers bled over and over again. You'd give up social activities and you would be late at night trying to figure out a very, very difficult riff. And then eventually you would play guitar like me. What you're really saying is, I wish you could play guitar like me without working as hard as you've worked in order to play guitar like me. So the question here is, is the passion of the aha moment strong enough to sustain you into long-term change into long-term action. And I'll just, one other quick example, you know, I, I've, I've written several books. Uh, the most recent book was picked up uh, by McGraw-Hill, so you, you, you see it in the bookstores. It's a great personal thrill, but that makes my phone ring with people saying, well, how can I write a book? How can I write a book? And I'll always give them the same uh, first step if they're looking for counsel, I will ask them, I want you to send me a one page on your book. Tell me what the title is. Tell me what the, the elevator speech and what the book is about. Tell me the chapter headings and then tell me who your audience is. And, and let's start there and I'll be happy to sort of walk you through it. That is a, I've given that counsel, I don't know, 500 times and I've received a handful of responses. And it's my way of trying to figure out, do you, is this just an idea in your head or are you actually passionate enough to do something about it? I love the aha moments, but they're nothing if the passion isn't strong enough to carry it into action.
It is fascinating you're saying that because I'm listening to you and uh, as normally, as the host of this show, I like to butt in because there's so many times when I kind of think, oh, yeah, I've got something to say about that. I've got something to say about that. And the first thing that struck me was the Eric Clapton story you were saying because I I saw an interview with Eric Clapton the other day and he says that he can't actually play like Eric Clapton anymore. He watches old YouTube videos of himself and he he thinks, I can't actually do that anymore. That's, you know, my abilities are diminishing somewhat, which is kind of fascinating that we still benchmark these people as legends in their field but actually their legends are slipping away and so it, it just shows you that there's there's areas for new challenges to come in and overthrow but you need to have that ability to practice you need to have that ability to want to work at three o'clock in the morning and then go to bed for a couple of hours and then get up again and keep on going for it so that that's the interesting thing on that but the other thing that sort of fascinated me as you were saying that is the passion that comes out of you when you talk, is that was that always there? When, when you was like a little chap and a little Jeff Shaw and you're running around the yard, were you always the kind of kid that was going, ah, oh, we could do that, and yes, we could do that, and come on, guys, come over here, and we're, we're at this club hut, and we'll do all that. Were you a kind of a challenging status quo little five-year-old? I was. I really was. I, um, I, I was. Um, I was the entrepreneur. I was the lemonade stand kid. Uh, I always wanted to try and figure out. It. I, I never had any problem. Uh, well, again, this goes back to that paradigm uh, discussion. My father was, uh, believe it or not, a professional magician, and uh, he had me performing uh, as his assistant at a at a very very young age. It was a cute little act with a magician and his young, cute little son up there. It was all good, uh, and and so from the very start, uh, I had no problems with stage fright. I had no problems with uh, public expression, and so yeah, I, I think I have always had in me that that little bit of uh, you know get out there. However, the 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 breakthrough came when under when I understood that I was only willing to do that within my comfort zone. So for me, I had to get to the point where I was willing to put myself out there in areas where I was not comfortable. That was the challenge. So I always had this comfort test to ask myself, okay, do I want to do this? Yes. Am I comfortable doing this? No, then I'm not doing it. So that, that's really the, the big breakthrough for me was to try and figure out how do I step out and exert my personality in areas where I was previously hindered by my own comfort addiction. The breakthrough for me in this show came, I, I created the tagline and it was almost like my, my mind was working in a way because since then the tagline is connecting our past to build our future and I don't know where that came from but it was just, I was sitting in the pub with a mate one day and I said that's what I'm going to call the show and he said what does that mean? I kind of like it but what does it mean? I said I don't really know but it just kind of sounds good but as we've been doing all the shows I was speaking to a chap last night and I said to him, I bet you loved Lego as a five-year-old. He went, I loved Lego. How do you know that? And the ability of, you know, yourself to be a presenter and stand up and and, and be the entrepreneurial five-year-old. It's amazing that all of us, and I've said this time and time again in these shows, all of us who are looking for our path in life actually know our path. We've just forgotten it. And it's the things that we loved doing as kids. And it's the passions when we ran home from school. And it was the first thing that we would do, whether it was laying on the floor, drawing or building things. You can see that time and time again, that if somebody loved Lego and building stuff, now they work in web development and they're building things. And if somebody was a a drawer, now they're doing artistry and all that kind of stuff. And so your path was pretty mapped out. And it wouldn't surprise me if you didn't do a bit of writing as well when you were little 
I always, always loved to write, and uh, that that is a, a very perceptive on your part. There's no question about it. It was it was always a big part of of, of my joy. It was a great way to uh, express myself. Definitely. Why do you think we forget this, Ben? If this is a commonality which is coming out on my shows time and time again, and even myself, I forgot it until I started doing this show and started reflecting on my own life, and I've heard things, and I kind of think, God, I should have been doing this years ago. I just didn't know. It wasn't, it wasn't the dots hadn't joined up in my life. But why do you think it's such a, a commonality across the globe that we go on a path that for many of us isn't our path, it's the expected path? To, uh, here's the best that I can figure out uh, on this. I'm going to do a massive, massive paraphrase of the psychologist uh, um, Daniel Gilbert, the Harvard psychologist Daniel Gilbert, and, and sort of sum up a core of, of, of his teaching with this one phrase. Our memory is far more powerful than our imagination. Our memory is more powerful than our imagination. So if you go back to when, because you, you clearly, David, have this, this interest in who we are as young people and how that uh, transfers into our adult life. Well, one of the things that we look at as young people, uh, and maybe today's young people are different because if they don't have a, a, an iPhone in their hand, I'm not sure that they know what to do with themselves. But when, when I was a kid, you know, give me a, a stick and a playmate and I'm good to go. I mean, I can create, we can play war, we can play stickball, we can do anything we want with just our imagination and and I'm a superhero and then suddenly I'm not I'm I'm a, I'm an actor or whatever I I could do whatever I wanted to to do as a child so that imagination is such an inherent part of what it is that we do and I think over time we sort of beat this concept called reality into children and almost teach them that that imagination that once served them so well and gave them so many happy times uh, is really maybe not all that useful in day-to-day -day life. And quite frankly, people are going to think you're a little bit of a freak if, if you continue on that path. So what happens is our memory becomes much more powerful than our imagination. Not so when you're small, but when you're older, your memory is more powerful than your imagination. And so it's much easier to go to what I am most familiar with, which is what I've always done, versus what could be. And it's one of the things, when I study really, really successful people, they have managed to ignite that imaginative trait and be able to channel it into oftentimes an unimaginative uh, world. So when I look, for example, right now with the work that uh, Elon Musk is doing with Tesla and SpaceX and Solar City and and he's he's completely into this creative disruption in in going in and saying how does the rest of the world do business great let me cut in and try and figure out a completely different way it's an active imagination that's channeled in the right way and when we do that i think we can create amazing things but i do think we're locked in this in this in this dreaded position that our our, our memory is more powerful than our imagination. I'm kind of in therapy every single day. I have these conversations, and on, on a Thursday and Friday, my recording days, I do about six or seven a day. And I a lot of the conversations blur into one, but there are themes that run through it. But a chap who was episode 82 four ago, so if you haven't listened to that one, jump back because it's a belter. It really is. He says that it is easier for us to do 
the bigger dreams than the normal stuff that everybody else does. And his kind of logic is he's basically managed to get himself on Richard Branson's flight or he's, he's down to two, 50% chance of getting it on this flight to go up on that, um, that spaceship that he's creating to photograph the world from space. And I sort of said mm. to him, how did you do this? And he told me this amazing story where he, he got on, um, he just thought, right, the first thing I need to do is meet Richard Branson. How the hell do you do that? Well, let's look on Twitter. Oh, he's in Miami. I'll get a flight over to Miami. So he pays Miami. He thinks, if I don't get, meet Richard Branson, it will only cost me 200 bucks anyway. It would be a nice weekend away. And he blags his way in, meets Richard Branson, has a little chat with him pitches his idea to him and Branson went yeah okay that sounds good I'll set you up with the PA and then he says a brilliant question to him and he says to him how many people have asked this question how many people have pitched to you to be the photographer from space and um, Branson said two you and another person so it's down to 50 50 and he said to me isn't that amazing that something that seems impossible was only four or five steps and now I put myself in a 50-50 chance? I've, I've, it, mm. it kind of makes your mind go funny where we are all going for the same jobs. We're all going for, you know, the job in Taco Bell. But if you actually go for something which seems impossible, you're more likely to achieve it. That's a fascinating story. I, I, I love that story. And that is absolutely the idea of, of uh, well, it's, I guess it's, it's sort of trite and almost cliche to say, you know, if you, if you reach for the stars, you, you still end up with the moon. But there's a lot of truth to the idea that we do tend to undershoot what we tend to think of as a big, active, vivid, imaginative goal is may not really be that big a deal in the first place. And so, you know, when, when uh, I think it was, uh, I don't remember who once said, was it Emerson, perhaps, who once said, what you become on the journey is far more important than where you arrive on the journey. And, and I think that that's what we're talking about. If you want to think in small terms, then you can get the small payoffs. But well, you want to think in big terms if you want the big payoffs. That's a great story. Love it. It is. I, I, I listened with my jaw dropping because it was just it kind of seemed so easy. It was like three or four steps and he got what he wanted. And it, it, it is, it's the mindset, isn't it? It's the mindset to go and do something a little bit different. I'm doing this show now, and I've said this numerous times as well. It's a daily show, so I do repeat myself. But when I started it, a lot of people were going, what the hell are you doing? You know, that's not a business. That's not, how are you going to make money on it? And now it's going like a rocket ship. A lot of people are saying to me, oh, I always knew it was going to work. And it seems fascinating to me that they were kind of anchoring me to a position of, you know, normality where, where they are. And now I am moving things forward. And fortunately, it's going very, very well. They're with me and they're following me. And that, that's, that's weird as well, isn't it? Uh, it is. But I, I, I think that, that everybody loves a good success story. But it does challenge them to say, well, well, why not me, right? That's the that is a challenge that people are going to have. But but I'm I completely am with you on this, and I think most of your listeners would be from the perspective that it seems just a, a simple fact of human nature that if you don't try, you don't get. So what difference does it make right from the very beginning? I just think we live in a society where we are so consumed with what other people might think that it draws us into a world of safety that is, you know, really just at, at, at the very least 
hindering, but at the worst, it might just be dangerous uh, to our overall well-being. So, you know, I'm looking at it right now, and, and one of the things that I've been developing and continue to develop, a, a lot of people are enamored with the phrase bucket list of everything that they want to do in their life before they die, before they kick the bucket. My experience with that is that most people, it's more of a dream list. It's, it's like an it would be nice list. But the question is, how actionable is it really? Uh, I don't have a bucket list. I have a discomfort list. And I have a list of things that I have always wanted to do, but I've been hindered by my own desire for comfort such that I have not actually taken the action on any of those things. Because again, I think we all have some of that comfort addict in us. So here I am at age 52, um, presently taking jazz piano lessons with a goal to try and perform publicly sometime in 2014. I've, I've, I've played very little piano. I've never performed publicly ever, but I want to play in a jazz piano trio this year. Um, my wife and I are, are, are taking dance lessons. We're trying to get the rumba down now because I've always enjoyed watching people dance, but I've always felt self-conscious about it. And at age 52, may, here's where I've completely lost my mind. Uh, in March, I joined a, uh, a, an adult learn-to-play ice hockey class. And um, I've been an ice hockey fan since I was a very small child, but I don't know how to ice skate. So I've always used that as an excuse never to even try it. And here I am saying, hey, listen, I, don't, I do not want to let my discomforts get in the way. And I know you're from the UK. Ice hockey is this sport where there's you put on skates and you're on ice and sticks and... Well, just think football, but but with sticks in your you hand. We'll beat go that people way. People up, don't you? That's what you're out for. <laughs> that's what I. That's why I want to play. I want to. I want to hit somebody. Yeah. Yeah. Just just knock knock their teeth out. But but what what you know now you're doing these things. Are, is there a little bit of you that thinks why didn't I do it ten years ago when I was forty two? There is just absolutely no question. I I. I you know I, I'm not the type of person that really likes to dwell on regrets very much, but. You know, it's go back to your Eric Clapton story about his realization that he can't play the way that he used to play. And that might very well be true. But what he has now that he didn't have back when he could play that way, he has wisdom, he has perspective, and he can use that to help grow and mentor uh, young musicians who are coming up to give them a piece of what he knows. So that's where I am right now. I don't want to go back and say, why didn't I do this sooner and, and beat myself up over it? What I do want to do is reach other people and say, why not now? Why not now? What are you waiting for? And, and that's the big concern is that that safe zone draws us in to say, stay where you're at. Your memory is more powerful than your imagination. So you're going to think back on the way it, that it's always been, that you've always done things. And that's a core part of my message is to challenge people to say, why not now? Why not now? How did you get bold, though? Because what you're saying now is, is it's almost like a very gung-ho attitude and you're doing things because um, there's, there's a certain part of our life and I, I felt it, I think I felt it when I was 30 and I felt it big time when I was 40. And I think the 41 was double of oh my god i'm wasting my life what am i doing i i need to do something i need to leave my mark but we're not like that as youngsters we we think we've got forever and a day and we think that you know things aren't going to go our way so we do go with the herd and we just sort of float along but when did you become bold when did you actually stand up because even your presentations you you speak in vast crowds I've done that as well. And that's not something you can do instantly. Some people can, but it's something you build up to. And all of us, even if we've been doing it for years and years and years, are terrified. It just, 
we control it in a different way. So can you remember a time when you look back and you go, that was, all, that was so scary, but I almost couldn't deal with it and push through? I was the, uh, here in the United States, I was the national sales director for a, uh, a Fortune 500 company. And I had been with this company for 11 years. I climbed the ladder, climbed the ladder, climbed the ladder. And then uh, to, to, to quote the late Stephen Covey, what, what happens when you climb the ladder for years of your life only to realize that the ladder is leaning on the wrong wall? And uh, there was a massive reorganization. I was offered a position in the company that I refused to take. After 11 years, we sort of looked at each other across the table and said, all right, well, uh, thanks for playing the game. Here's some lovely parting gifts. Enjoy the rest of your life. And the next thing you know, I, I'm out of there. And, and I had... The, the, the problem is that that job was so safe for me. I was on this natural projection and trajectory to constantly get a slight increase in salary, a slight increase in office location, a slight increase in title, and I had followed that path over and over again. I, had, I didn't realize how safely I was living at that moment. So it wasn't until this really happened to me that I had to step aside, first feeling very much the victim here, like I, I gave, like saying to this big corporation, I gave you my heart and soul for all those years and this is how you thank me and I had, had to have that massive pity party, only to step back after a time and say, okay, well, I didn't ask for this, but now there's the opportunity for me to reinvent. Now there's the opportunity for me to design the life that I wanted to lead. Now. I admit to the listeners that that was easier for me from the perspective that having left this company with a big severance package, you know, I had the financial footing to be able to start my own company to be able to do that. That made it easier. But it wouldn't have been appropriate if I wasn't in that position for me to say, well, you know what, I just can't afford it or I don't have the time or I don't have the talent, so I'm going to go work for another corporation doing the same job. That would have been the safe thing to do. It would also have been, in retrospect, the horrific thing to do. Because in these last 15 years that I have built my own business and my own name and my own brand, my own opportunities, uh, they have been by far the best 15 years of my life professionally, and I am accomplishing things and having a great time doing it that I would not have done except that I had been sucked into that atmosphere of safety. And I, I'm looking at it, just one last picture of this to challenge the listener. I, my uh, my dear sister, Cindy, who I love very dearly, uh, she's counting the days until she can retire as the pay as a as a, the payroll manager for the city of Milpitas, California, a job that she has been at for twenty eight years. And when you're counting the days until you can cash a retirement check and finally leave that horrid place, I'm sorry, you're not living the life you're supposed to live. I did 15 years for one company and I did 10 years for another and or just under 10 years and I look back on it and the first 15 years I didn't know any better it, it was just what I was doing and I'd right. go off on holiday have a few beers with my mates and, and just kind of just exist really but the last 10 years I think that there was a bubble and it was starting to float up and it got to the point where the bubble was so big I had to jump into it and just float out the window and I, I think I couldn't have stayed there any longer but I've never been pushed out of anywhere once I did but that was more due to my stupid actions really another story <laughs> um, but for most of the times it's my choice to do that and 
I would have loved to have been pushed out of my job, my last one, five years earlier. I look back on it now and I think I could I could still be there for another 15, 20 years. I had to make a conscious decision. And I remember when I did that conscious decision, it took all my energy to actually remain focused afterwards because I had a three-month um notice period i had to work and once you make that decision and i say this to all the listeners once you make that decision to actually do something and it doesn't have to be quitting your job it doesn't mean punching your manager in the face it doesn't mean anything it can just be something that does take you out the comfort zone you need to do it as quickly as possible once you make that decision do it before you change your mind because i found that three months of waiting 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 before i could leave was the hardest thing that i ever went through and uh, i never felt that i was going to change my mind but my energy just went down 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 now i'm doing this it's like i'm bathing in rocket power mr sure i love it i love it i love it and i i, I would guess that had you stayed at that company and said, you know what, it's just not prudent, it's just not responsible for me to do something else, so I'm going to stay here, that that discontent would still stay with you, but the next time you decide you wanted to leave, uh, it would actually be harder to leave. You might think it'd be easier because the discontent continued to rise, but you had already recommitted. That, I think, makes it, it, we get stuck for a longer period of time. Is that not so? Yeah, I think so. And I think what you were saying about when you lost your job and for a while you was a victim, that is what we class the big dot. That is the dot that for most of the um, guests on the show, they will have a time that they look back and go, that was crap. That was a terrible time to go through. I really didn't like it. But my God, now I look at it now. Thank God that happened, because if it wasn't for that big dot, then my life wouldn't be where it is now. And it, it seems, you know, once again, a commonality that runs through all the shows, that people have to almost get to rock bottom. They have to have a certain amount of pain and discomfort before they challenge that comfort that they're in. And the comfort word is, is the worst swear word ever now, I think. I think for everyone who's in a comfort, and if you are in comfort and you love it, then great. You know, as I always say, if you love doing your job, go in there. And if you all want, you want to do a nine to five and then come home and sit on the sofa with a box set of, of whatever, then brilliant. But if you do want something else, you've got to start challenging that comfort feeling because there's no way of moving forward otherwise. What, what do you reckon, Jeff? How, how can somebody start breaking free from that kind of, oh, I'll wait till next week, oh, there's a pay rise in August, and that, that constant thing that keeps you in a position when you're not happy? Well, I th you know, it's a question that I get actually on a regular basis. People ask me, how do I build the boldness muscle, as I refer to it? And, and I think the, it's a good question. I think that's the stronger question is not necessarily how, but when. Because when we think about our discomfort, the problem that we find ourselves and this is just a just an extension of human nature. If I wait to respond until I'm facing that discomfort, then I'm likely to respond from the very primitive part of my brain. And uh, we have this this uh, this this flea instinct in us. It's it's just part of our of of our of our DNA that says when we're when we see discomfort, we sense discomfort that we, we perceive that as some sort of threat to us. And in our threat sensitivity, our brain is going to send the message that says, run away. And this is very, very common. Whenever, we are whenever we're uncomfortable, we're, we're going to have a decision to make. I, I, 
constantly I'm telling people this, every moment of discomfort is associated with a moment of decision. And it doesn't matter what it is, in work or in life, it, it, you know, your, your teenage daughter rolls her eyes at you, it's uncomfortable, great, now you have a decision to make. Uh, you, you know, you're, you've got a task to do that you don't want to do, it's uncomfortable, great, now you have a decision to make. So it doesn't matter what aspect of our life, whenever we have a moment of discomfort, we have a moment of decision. The problem is if we do not prepare in advance for those discomforts, then we're going to make the decision on reaction out of the very emotional and primitive side of our brain, and that side of our brain is going to tell us, run away. So the discussion here is to look at it and say, how can I prepare for those discomforts in advance? So I always recommend that people are starting to build that discomfort muscle, to, to, or I'm sorry, that boldness muscle, to start by taking common discomforts in your job, in your life, whatever it happens to be, and anticipating those in advance and deciding before the discomfort is present as to how you're going to respond. Because now when I do that, I can make that decision out of the logical side of my brain rather than the emotional side of my brain. And I sort of liken it this way. If you've got an alcoholic in a psychologist's office, in a counselor's office, the counselor's going to say, hey, don't drink. It's bad for you. And the alcoholic's going to say, you're right. I see the error in my ways. I'm not going to drink anymore. And if you put him on a lie detector, on a polygraph, he's going to pass. He believes that he's not going to drink anymore. Well, what's the problem? Well, the problem is there's no alcohol in the counselor's office. It's pretty easy to say that then. The question is, how are you going to respond when you're around your drinking buddies or when the stresses of your life that you have not managed are rearing up and causing you to crawl inside a bottle, which is the safest, most comfortable place that you know. So the idea here is to put yourself in that mental frame of mind before you face the discomfort, not when you face the discomfort, but before you face the discomfort. Does that make sense? It makes total sense. And I'm going to play a little clip here, and I've started playing this in the shows. I will be bringing Steve Jobs on very shortly, but I love this clip. And I don't know if you've heard it, so I'm not going to build it up. But um, if you haven't heard it, see if you can guess who it is, because I think this is amazing. My father could have been a great comedian, but he didn't believe that that was possible for him. And so he made a conservative choice. Instead, he got a safe job as an accountant. And when I was 12 years old, he was let go from that safe job, and our family had to do whatever we could to survive. I learned many great lessons from my father, not the least of which was that you can fail at what you don't want, so you might as well take a chance on doing what you love. What do you reckon about that? Did you know who that is? It's Steve Jobs. No, it's Jim Carrey, the comedian Jim is Carrey. Is it really? Yeah, he did a presentation in a university recently. And um, I, 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 it really is worth seeing. It's 26 minutes long. Most of it is for laughs, but then he hits with that. And uh, when I heard it, I thought, I'm going to nick that and put it on the show. Because that really says what you're saying, doesn't it? If, if, why you spend know, your I, life? I, go on, go, go ahead. You, as, as soon as you said that, I, I, have, I have seen that clip and and boy that was very very powerful and you're right it's it's worth watching that uh, commencement speech because it's funny <laughs> but he also was very poignant and very powerful uh, at, at exactly the right moments and 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 that is the perfect example of someone who is willing to embrace discovery listen if you're going to try and make it big in the theater arts that's an uncomfortable undertaking. Do you have the passion to deal with that discomfort? And I think that most people uh, in the theater arts and, and, and entertainment and, and just like so many walks of life, they, they, 
they quit. They give in to their discomfort just before their big break. And that's uh, this just devastating to me. It is to me as well, and that's one of the reasons this this show is themed in such a way. I just want somebody out there, and fortunately I'm getting many, many emails from people who have said, and they've pinpointed moments in the shows, and I'll be ashamed to say, a lot of them I don't actually remember saying or or thinking in these shows, because they were sort of one after, it's like a tsunami of, of positivity that I'm, I'm swimming against at the moment. But they, they send me these emails, and they jot down key elements, and they say, it was that that made me want to do this. And they're telling me what they're doing. And I'm building up this network across the globe of people. And it's lovely. And it, it was brilliant when it started because it was so unexpected. But now it's getting so big. I feel like almost I'm not managing to give them as much support as I want to because it's just me doing it. But for you, for you listening out there, if you do send me an email, I do read all of them. And I will get back to all of you in some regard. Um, but... I love what you're doing. I really love that support. And I love the fact that you are challenging because there is a better life out there. And that really leads us on to the the, the main speech. And this is the Steve Jobs one. And this says just that. Have faith in your abilities. Trust yourself and take action. So this is Steve Jobs. Of course, it was impossible to connect the dots looking forward when I was in college. But it was very, very clear looking backwards 10 years later. Again, you can't connect the dots looking forward. You can only connect them looking backwards. So you have to trust that the dots will somehow connect in your future. You have to trust in something, your gut, destiny, life, karma, whatever, because believing that the dots will connect down the road will give you the confidence to follow your heart even when it leads you off the well-worn path, and that will make all the difference. Do you... I, I believe that you believe that. So I'm not going to say, do you believe those words? Because I think it's quite obvious that you, you do. But do you remember when you started to realise that a lot of your history was those areas that, that are going to join up your dots? It was really when I, I, I was doing some research in this whole area of, uh, of how our memory works and and because what what Steve Jobs was just talking about was could have been a paraphrase of Dan Gilbert as I referenced earlier in this conversation that your memory is more powerful than your imagination you can see the dots behind you you can't always see the dots in front of you but as I was doing this as I was preparing this as I was learning this you know one of the things that I came across and I can't remember exactly how this happened but I came across uh, a, an interesting uh, psychological aspect of, of a thinking error called the imposter syndrome. And perhaps some of your listeners have heard of the imposter syndrome before. You can Google it if you like. But but the idea here is this: it, the imposter syndrome is some. It's it's an an irrational fear that somebody is going to find out that I'm basically making things up. Uh, that that it's uh, that I am the proverbial emperor with no clothes. That that they're going to be on to me. And I remember reading about the imposter syndrome and thinking, oh no, they're they've they they figured it out. I'm I'm making stuff up for a living. This is this is not good. And, and and it was it was it was almost terrifying to me. So then I went to a trusted friend and. And I, and I told him about this emotional response that I had had to this imposter syndrome, the fear that people are going to figure out that I, I do a lot of making stuff up as I go. And she looked at me and she said, you? 
Jeff, how can you say that? Look at your track record. Look at what you've accomplished. Look, look, at, look at your history. Look at your experience. Look at the, at the legacy of lives that you have changed. How can you possibly even say that? And by the way, I have the imposter syndrome also. And I had that same conversation with people over and over again. And then it turns out over time, apparently, everybody deals with the imposter syndrome. But the key here is to understand that it's an irrational fear that people are going to figure out that you're not all you say you are. So for me, it was a matter of looking at it and saying, um, boy, you know what? Here's the problem that we have with people like, like you and I have. Uh, and I have to suspect that there's a lot of listeners who are going through the same thing. And it's something that uh, the, the, the uh, management guru, Dan Sullivan, calls living in the gap. We're constantly comparing where we are to where we feel like we should be. We're constantly looking at it and saying, I've, raised, I've, I've gotten to this level of success, but dang it, if I really would have worked hard, I could have been at that level. Or I could have, I could have done this much more or made that much more money. And there's nothing wrong with having big goals. I think we've made that clear that I'm a big proponent. But when we hang out in that gap between what we've accomplished and where we are, uh, where we feel, feel like we should have accomplished, it's going to lead to frustration and self-doubt and a lack of confidence. And the remedy here is to constantly look at it and say, where am I versus where I was? So it's not where am I where, compared to where I should be, it's where am I compared to where I was? So we've got to constantly look at it and say, how do I make sure that I'm feasting on those victories and that I can show a clear trajectory of growth and success in my life? Now, if I look back and I say, this is where I am today, this is where it was a year ago, and I see no change, that should freak you out. That should panic you. But if you can go back and say, look at what I've done in the last year, the last two years, the last five years, if I can stay out of that gap, then it motivates me to continue to connect the dots going forward. Again, to draw Steve Jobs back into the conversation. So for me, I, and even in my team, there are eight of us on the Shore Consulting team, we send a, an email around every afternoon at four o'clock called the Daily Win, and everybody has to report in. This was the biggest accomplishment for me of the day. We want to make sure on a daily basis that we're counting those victories and marking our progress. We have um, dinner time in the Ralph household. I'm missing my dinner tonight, but um, they're eating and I'm sure they're, they're enjoying the curry that I cooked just before we started interviewing. And one of the things that we always do, we always say, what was your good thing and your bad thing? And you have to go around the table and you go, well, my bad thing was, you know, I was really tired when I got up this morning. I wasn't ready. But my good thing was, and we always sort of end on a positive and stuff. And, and we, we go around in a circle. And it's just something that we've done for years. And it's, it's like that win email it just puts like a positive spin on it and it got to a point where I thought the kids are growing up now they won't want to do this but they they still want to do it and they do it every single night and when the, the girls bring their boyfriends home the boyfriends you can see them going oh god they're doing this what am I going to think of what I'm going to think of but it is it's a nice way of benchmarking your day and it's a nice way of just celebrating those small wins isn't it uh, when you contrast that with the normal conversation, how was your day? When you think about it, go back to teenagers again for just a moment. Your average teenager is inflicted with so much negativity between what they see on the news, between just the today's Facebook streams for crying out loud, uh, with complaining and everything else that goes on. If you simply ask the question, how was your day? You're probably going to start with a negative uh, response. If you're including in there what was the best part of your day, what was your win, 
you force them to stop and recount into the positive. I think that that's if, if for those of you for those of your listeners who are hearing this, and if, if that's the only thing you got out of this entire time together, that that one piece of advice is well worth it. What's the conversation you have around the dinner table with your kids? It's it's a part of life that is being lost, isn't it? So many people will so. eat in different rooms and they will whiz mm-hmm. in and they will whiz out. I, I think the, the dinner time, the family dinner time, is so vitally important. And unfortunately, with our life at the moment, it's not every day like it used to be. But when it mm-hmm. is, it is your one moment, isn't it, to really take focus on the people that you love the most. There is an aspect of uh, vulnerability in such conversations that sometimes eludes us. Um, we can we can be ourselves. We can be open and honest with our family. But even that ability with our own family is lost in its infrequency. So just to continue the conversations and to 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 stay with that refreshing honesty, it's a beautiful way to uh, spend that time around the table. Do you have people that you can't relate to? Are there people that actually, when you deal with them, they will make you uncomfortable? Even though you're a natural talker, you're a positive guy, are there people in your life that you have to deal with that for some reason or other, you are not Jeff Shaw when you're dealing with them? (laughs) Yes, lots, lots and lots and lots. And uh, you know what they are? You know what, if I wanted to put one huge umbrella over, over the lot of them... Uh, I, I would say it would be those people who are not willing to take responsibility for their um, for their actions or behaviors or the results in their life. I I, I don't have a lot of sympathy for the victims uh, for, or for the victim mentality that is not warranted. Um, I, I go with the philosophy that's that there are seven billion people in the world. There's always somebody who's got it well worse than you do. And for the you know countries that I deal with, uh, that I do business in, all highly developed countries, uh, look, you know, <laughs> we've got it so good. We, we we there is no excuse not to succeed in our walk when you consider the the pain and agony that is a way of life of so many people on this planet. So to play the victim over something like the way you were treated or the fact that your taxes are too high or the government is unfair, or, I mean, I have no tolerance, quite frankly. I, I really don't. Uh, you know, I, I, I want to shake these people by the shoulders and say, people way dumber than you have figured this out. And by the way, those people had, had far fewer advantages that you have. You've been given an incredible opportunity. Get out of your own victim mentality and uh, take responsibility for your own actions. I hope that wasn't too uh, too crude a statement right there, but no, that's, that's me all. from the heart. That's what this show is about. I'm reading a book at the moment. It's by the side of my bed that my daughter bought me, and it's called Think Like a Freak. And it's about looking at problems in a different way to everybody else. And they talk about how people beat the four-minute mile by changing their mindset and blah, blah, blah. And one of the things mm. I read last night, and I sort of said to my wife, and she went, oh, that's a bit morbid. I went, no, this is fascinating. That if you go to the poorest countries in the world, the suicide rate is almost non-existent. And mm-hmm. the suicide rate in places like America, well, America exactly, this is what they were saying, is twice the homicide rate when you think that 
in the States, you've got so many more opportunities, but you then have got that kind of perception of standard of living that the poor people don't. They accept their situation and they make the most of it, where in the UK and the United States, we are, for many of us, benchmarking ourselves exactly as you said, against where we think our life should be and not being happy with it. Mm-hmm. It's a sad commentary. It, it really, really is. The good news is that there is that remedy, but the remedy does start from taking that amount of self-control of looking at it and saying, look, I can only control what I can control, but I can control what I can control. And I think what we can control is much broader than sometimes we think. It, it, when we're thinking out of our comfort addiction, we look at things that are uncomfortable to us and we say, I'm just simply not even going, I can't do that, I can't, I can't, I can't. And I, I want to change the way people think about it and look at it and say, well, let's, let's talk this through a little bit. Who's saying you can't? Because more often than not, it's your own desire for comfort that's, that's putting that limitation on what you're going to accomplish in your life. Just before we put you on the sermon on the mic and we send you back in time to have a one-on-one with your younger self, where can you see yourself being it by the time you're 60? What, what things are scaring you at the moment, but you just know there's something that you need to conquer and move on? Where's Jeff Shaw going to end up? <laughs> well, that's a, that's, a, that's a great question, and you're, you're asking for a peek behind the curtain there, my friend. And, uh, that's so, what and I do. I got to I got to decide how far to open it. Um, so yeah, you know what? I, I think. Look, I, I I am a sales junkie. I I love the sales process because I I've just I, I, it's so psychological. I love to learn the way that people think. But I think you know for for me more and more uh, I I really fancy the idea of working with people who deeply desire to demolish the discomforts in all areas of their life. And I'll always be involved in the sales business, and I really, really enjoy that. But I really just love the stories of people who, who, who grapple with long-held discomforts and systematically build the boldness muscle in order to dismantle those. So, you know, I have, um, you know, when I'm looking at, uh, at my goals, when I'm looking at where I want to be, um, you know, I've, I've got actually two mastermind groups that I run right now, but the next one will be on a, on a much deeper level. I, I, could, I could picture a, a four-day conference to bring people together who want to just line up every area of their life, go on a journey to try and first identify and then dismantle their discomforts and come out of there feeling like they're, they're just so much stronger and well-prepared with a solid game plan to try and move that forward. So that's just one little peak. But more than anything else, the passion continues to grow uh, to help people to dismantle their comfort addictions. I wish you success with that. Now, let's see what the young Jeff Shaw would have thought. Because this, I'm going to send you back in time now. And if you could go back in time and have a one-on-one with your younger self, what age of Jeff Shaw would you choose? Would it be the five-year-old lemonade stall guy? Would it be the slightly older one doing magic tricks with his dad? Or would it be somebody who was just about to hit his big dot and move on to his, his future? So I'm going to play the tune, and when it fades out, you're up. And this is the Sermon on the Mic. The best bit of the show The Sermon on the Mic The Sermon on the Mic Jeff, I want to tell you two things here. First of all, I want to talk to you 
in those early formative years in in late high school and then uh, into your your early days after high school when you made something of a wreck of your life and the life of people around you and the piece of advice that I want to give you before you get to that stage is this you are free to make any choices that you want but you are not free to escape the consequences you're free to make any choice that you want, but you are not free to escape the consequence. And I want to tell you right now, every choice that you make will have a consequence. And you can only control the choices. You can't control the consequences. So I want to just tell you, as you're, as you're getting into these formative years and you're trying to figure out the human being that you will be and the, the mark that you want to make on this planet, you are free to make any choice that you want, good or bad, but you're never free to escape the consequences. And then the other thing that I want to tell you is this. You're always going to have two routes. There's a part of you as a young man right now that wants to move to New York and be on a stage. There's a part of you that wants to pursue a career in music. There's a part of you that wants to have more play in your life. But there's going to be a whole world out there that's saying, take the safe path. Here's the office. Here's the title. Here's the money. Here's, here's the path that's laid out for you. It's tried. It's true. It's proven. And it's safe. You're always going to have that choice. Don't make the mistake that so many people will make of waiting too long to make the shift. Don't live your life with regrets. Be bold. Be daring. And you can change the world. Here, here. I think that is a powerful statement to end the show. I really don't want this show to end, Jeff. I want it to keep on going, going, going. Maybe we can fly over to California and, and have a drink with Pamela Anderson together and, and sort of bring it to a natural end. But for all our listeners out there that haven't got that opportunity to fly across, how can I connect with you? Uh, the starting point is jeffshore.com and my email address jeff at jeffshore.com. So even as you're thinking right now, if you're listening to this and you've got a very specific discomfort that you've thought of in your life that, that you want to just bounce it off of me and, and maybe even if I could be so bold as to be able to hand you a couple of ideas as to where to start, that's absolutely the resource. Go to jeffshore.com or shoot me an email, jeff at jeffshore.com. We've got a host of free resources by way of, uh, of, of video. We've got a, a whole YouTube channel and white papers. You can follow us uh, on Twitter at Jeff Shore, uh, at our Facebook community, Jeff Shore uh, community on, uh, on Facebook. And you can sign up for a weekly email we put out every Saturday morning. It's a video email with uh, new, fresh insights and tidbits, especially for sales professionals. It comes out every Saturday morning. But jeffshore.com is the clearinghouse for all of that. We'll have all those links on the show notes. And thank you so much for spending time with us today, joining up those dots, Jeff. It's been a brilliant conversation. Please come back again when you have more dots to join up because I believe there's more exciting things. And do come back if you do have a fight on the ice rink. I'd like to see that. I don't know why I want to see you beat up another man, but there you go. Um, I do believe, though, that by joining up those dots and connecting our past, it is the very best chance we have to build our futures. Jeff Shaw, thank you so much. Thank you, sir. It was my pleasure. David doesn't want you to become a faded version of the brilliant self you were once. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Join Up Dots, brought to you exclusively by podcastersmastery.com. The only resource that shows you how to create a show, build an income, 
and still have time for the life that you love. Check out podcastersmastery.com now. David doesn't want you to become a faded version of the brilliant self you were once to become. So he's put together an amazing guide for you called the eight pieces of advice that every successful entrepreneur practices, including the two that changed his life. Head over to joinupdots.com to download this amazing guide for free, and we'll see you tomorrow on Join Up Dots.